Well, we are going to continue with the uh, sermon topic of the atmosphere of unity. Amen? So, um, this week, we're talking about being unified in the spirit and what unity brings. In our social media pop culture today, there are a lot of opinions about how life should be lived and how we relate to others. Unity is not natural in our fallen world. The enemy is at work and sin causes divisions and separation. Cohesion and unity are God's ways and are evidence of his presence. When there is an atmosphere of unity, there are no limits to what can be accomplished. For a church to move to a new level of ministry and faith, unity is essential. It may be the difference between hitting the mark and missing the mark. In a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change TV channels, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, asked Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that's terrible to behold. Which channel do you want, asked Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> Sometimes we do that when we see different people accomplishing goals, right? Different groups accomplishing goals, and we look at our surroundings and say, why can't you get organized like that, right? <laughs> so we know how he feels, right? Oh. Atmosphere is a word that speaks to the pervading tone or mood of a place or a situation. It can affect your attitude, your demeanor, and even your outlook. So the desired atmosphere. We have to decide what we want our atmosphere to be. What kind of atmosphere do we want to bring into a situation or a circumstance? Think about your home. There's a saying that says, if mama ain't happy, <laughs> what kind of atmosphere is she bringing, right? Women of life, we have to know that we can change the atmosphere. People of life, men too, we can change the atmosphere. I know many times when we stand up, when I stand up here, I sense sort of a cold, a little bit cold atmosphere. This, this year, this time, we have to take the responsibility to change the atmosphere. Amen. We have to be responsible to come in with the fragrance of the Holy Spirit already upon us so that when our prayers go up, they're a sweet aroma. You know how when you cook and you, you come into your grandmother's, when I used to go to my grandmother's, both grandmothers, the first thing I did was go to the refrigerator every time. And it didn't matter if anything was cooking or not. But when you go in and something is cooking, it changes the atmosphere, doesn't it? <laughs> you get excited. It's like, woo, something good's going to happen today, right? So when we come in, we want to come in with that cooking atmosphere. We've already been in his presence. We've already received from him. So we come in, we're just ready to see him work, ready to see him work. Because when we come together as one unit, it's easier to see things work, Right? When you, like when you work in a team, it's easier to get things done a lot of times than it is individually. Amen? Amen. Our atmosphere has to be conducive for a move of the Spirit of God. It needs to be attractive to the lost 
It has to be prepared for the hurt to be healed and encouraging for the gifts of the spirit to flow. And that's everything we've said. So we, we know we want our atmosphere to be conducive. We need to be conduits for the flow of the spirit of God. And if we are afraid, are afraid of the flow of the spirit of God, we're stopping that conduit. It's not, it's not coming through. So if we're scared to be spooky, <laughs> if we're, we're too afraid to be spooky, if we're too afraid to be talked about because, by someone next to us or that hears about us, then we're stopping the flow of the Spirit of God, right? If we are uh, afraid to, to um, if we're afraid of what God's going to tell us to do, we're afraid that he's going to tell us to do something we don't want to do, <laughs> then we're stopping that flow of the Spirit of God, right? So it ha we have to have a, an atmosphere that's conducive for a move of the Spirit of God. And when that happens, it attracts the lost, right? You have to think about Jesus. When he went to the woman sitting um, at the well and he, he allowed the Spirit of God to work prophetically through him and tell, him, tell her all about herself, what did it do? It attracted the lost because it caused her to go out and say, hey, I've met a man, Come and see, could this be the Christ? Right? So when, when God moves through us, it encourages us to tell others so that they can say, hey, is this the Christ? Is this the Christ? There's a, there used to be a song called, There's a Stranger in Town Who's Giving Sight to the Blind, Turning Water into Wine. Right? So when we, when we experience his miracles and others see it, they say, who is this stranger? Who is the stranger? And our answer is he's the man from Galilee, right? He's Jesus. Amen? Amen. We have to have an atmosphere that encourages the gifts of the Spirit to flow. If you don't know your gifts, if you're not familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, we need to get familiar. Most of us in here have been Christians many years. So if you're not familiar, you need to get familiar. We need to take responsibility and read in the Word in Corinthians where the gifts of the Spirit are. And we need to study up on it, right? So that you can find out and ask the Lord what your gift is. Allow him to tell you. Move in it. Amen? So that we can have an atmosphere that allows the gifts of the Spirit of God to flow. Amen? Amen. A spiritual atmosphere is marked by the presence of God. The Holy Spirit moving. Transformation. Open heavens. Rivers flowing the move of the Holy Spirit and power. Okay? So, you need to reflect, reflect on yourself, reflect on our church, reflect on your surroundings. Do I have an atmosphere that invites or that is marked by the presence of God? Do we have an atmosphere that where we see the Holy Spirit moving? Do we have an atmosphere where we see transformation? Do we have open heavens? Do we hear from God and do we move? Or are we, are we always wondering what God says? Is that you? I don't, I, God's not saying anything. I just don't know. I'm, I'm confused. God's not a God of confusion, right? He's a God of peace, right? And direction. The Holy Spirit is, leads us and guides us into all truth and brings all things back to our remembrance. So we should never have any reason to be confused, right? Amen. Um, do we see the moving of the Holy Spirit and do we see power? Do we see miracle working power because of Jesus? Is that in our atmosphere? Is that in our atmosphere? I come to tell you that God is never at fault. Jesus is never at fault. 
He's done everything he's ever going to do. And he's sitting down right now rested. And he said, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to take responsibility to do what I said do. God is waiting on us. We are not waiting on him. Amen. The powerful atmosphere of unity. Matthew 18, 19 through 20 says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Again, I say unto you, if two agree on earth concerning anything, anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Anything. Nothing is too hard for our God. The mountain are, mountains are his. The valleys are his. The stars are his handiwork. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Amen? Amen. Concerning anything. Now let's think of my, one of my favorite scriptures. Mark 4, when they're going to pass that fig tree after Jesus on the way to the uh, temple where he drives everybody out, passes that fig tree, and he sees he wants something to eat on, on the tree. It's not even the time for figs, right? But he sees it over in the distance. He, everything he does is for a teaching. He's t- teaching his disciples. That's the whole point, you know. So he goes and he gets up, tries to get something to eat. Well, there's nothing there. And he curses that tree. Nobody's ever going to eat from you ever again. You know, Peter's standing there. We know Peter, right? He's taking notice. Hmm, Nobody's. So then he goes on to Jerusalem. He clears out that temple because they're acting crazy in there. And he says, okay, God says this is a house of prayer. This is not a house where you sell and buy in, in the Lord's temple. This is a house of prayer. They come back the next day passing that same tree. That tree is dead. His disciples said, look at that tree. He just spoke to it yesterday. It's dead today. What, what did Jesus say? He said, he's not, you're not going to produce anymore, but let's turn there. Mark, it's 11. Mark 11. 11, 20, 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, grow, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So through this, we we learn a couple of things that we have to have faith in God. Just saying things that you don't believe don't work because we're not making incantations. We're not doing magic. We're believing. We're people of faith and belief. So you know how uh, a lot of young boys say, I am going to be a professional wrestler. You know, I'm going to be an NBA star, right? If they don't believe it, they're not practicing. They might be watching the games and playing it on Xbox or PlayStation, but they're not out there dribbling that ball two hours every day and running and doing sprints and suicides and all that. They don't believe it. They don't believe it because they're not doing the work it takes to get there. They don't believe it. 
right? So we have to have faith in God. That faith is putting your work in his super going on your natural, right? <laughs> your super going on your natural and you're working together to get that thing done. Have faith in God. You can say to a mountain, any obstacle, any obstacle, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done if you do not doubt in your heart. Amen? It says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. But then it says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you. We cannot come in here singing over offense and offending others. You cannot come in here lifting up your hands saying, holy, 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 if you have something against your neighbor or your brother. God's not hearing it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. For parents who, are, who have children and they have been disobedient, or even if they're just fighting each other, and, and you've told them to stop and they keep on picking at each other, and then they come to you, can I go? Will you take me? I, want, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. No. You go make it right. And then you come back and talk to me, right? <laughs> you go make it right. God is saying, you go make it right. If you have anything against anybody, you make it right. And then you come back and talk to me about it. Amen? Amen. Harmony working together with one heart, one soul, one vision, one mission, one spirit, living in one accord. The atmosphere of unity is harmony working together with one heart, one soul, one vision, one mission, one spirit, living in one accord. Just think of a couple, a husband and wife. You know that the, the head of every man is the Lord Jesus and the head of every wife is her husband, right? And the two have left their parents and they cleave together and they become one. So the husband has a vision. We are going to do um, thus and so. By the end of this year, the wife says, okay, let's do it. But all the, the while, she's doing a little something on the side. Okay, let's do it. But all the while, she's kind of usurping that so it doesn't come to pass. Is there unity? No. There's discord, right? Right? So we cannot come to our leaders at work, at school, at play, wherever we are, teams. Yes, let's do it. I'm not doing what they said. They're not right. I'm not doing it. Is that unity? No. Do we do it? Thank you. <laughs> yes, we do sometimes. But we have to say, okay, God has put the, made them the head over us. They're our authority. So if they don't prosper, we don't prosper, right? So it, it makes sense. Wives, if your husband is in authority, if he prospers, you prosper, right? Support the person. <laughs> Get under the mission. Help them to prosper so that you prosper. Amen. I know when Michael was into music, I used to get jealous because to me, he used to favor a, a certain singer. Then it dawned on me, hey, if that person's prosperous, that means I get a little. Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> do that. Do that. You know, support the mission. Get in there. All right. So I'm saying I'm not saying that we are not supporting here, but I'm saying be mindful of the mission of the life church 
Let's be mindful. I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not saying we haven't supported our pastors. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying this year we're going to do it on purpose. And we're going to take responsibility. And we're going to walk in one vision, in one accord, for one mission, and one purpose. Amen? Amen. Harmony is to agree together, to cooperate, to bind together in agreement. It is fit to fit or adapt a connected whole. It's our goal to be a connected whole. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Now we have a whole pastor. Pastor gave me his notes. So we have a whole lot of scriptures. I won't, <laughs> I won't read all of them though. Uh, John 17, 20 through 23 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world, that the world, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed for us that we will be one so that the world can know that God sent him and that he is in us. Amen? Amen. Let's go down to Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. Amen. Uh, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. When you live together in unity, there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life evermore. I know a lot of us here are, are married, but in our particular family, on my side and on Michael's side, um, most of the couples are divorced. Not, not many of them are together. And um, I know that uh, our marriage is to be an example of God and the earth to our families, to those younger cousins and, you know, those younger children, because they don't, uh, most of them don't have an example of a marriage that lasts. The, the, I think the last one for his side was his grandparents, who both deceased, and um, my parents on, on our side stayed together, but the ones before that, they didn't stay together. Um, so uh, sometimes for us, we get attacked, like, psh, 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 often, ever since we first got married. It's just, it's just been a fight. Um, but, but I have realized that's, that's why, because we have a great work to do as a couple. Together, when we are unified, 
We are a mighty, mighty force. And all couples are that because we are the example of God in the earth. The bride of Christ in the earth is what a husband and wife are. The, the earthly example of that, of, of Jesus' relationship with us as his church. So when we are fighting with each other, how can we represent being the bride of Christ when we're fighting each other as husband and wife? Or when we are fighting as a church, how can we, we represent our God if we're fighting as a church? Um, so as the husbands and wives and families are representations of the earth of, of Jesus Christ and the church, so our bodies of fellowship are representations of the love of Christ in the earth. Right? So if we're fighting amongst ourselves, how can we show that love of Christ in the earth? We can't. We're too busy picking at each other. We're too busy saying, you're not doing it my way. We're too busy saying, you shouldn't have talked to me like that. Respect me. We can't do it. We can't do it. We have to learn that... Um, being respected is not the ultimate goal. Was Jesus respected all the time? Mm -mm. That's not the ultimate goal. Nobody can take your respect from you but you. If they don't speak respectfully to you, you they have disrespected themselves. <laughs> right? You are the only one that allows respect to be taken from you. Right? Amen? So we're walking as an upright people, a respectful people, in unity in forgiveness and in love, because we will show this community the love of the life church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? No. <laughs> so if you've agreed to come into this house, we are walking together. Amen? Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 20. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Amen? So we all have to figure out what our part is. What, what is your part? Why are you here? Not maybe to life church, but why are you here? Why are you alive? If you are alive, there is a reason or you would not be here. God has done the choosing. No matter how you got here, no matter if you're wanted or not, no matter if uh, you're born through rape, no matter if whatever it is, if you're here, you're meant to be. And everything about you is meant to be. Your age, your stage, your race, your economic status, your physical health or lack thereof, if it was out of your control, then God knew it before you came. Amen? And there is a reason. There is a reason. So we're going to ask the Lord this year. We're going to be responsible and say, Lord, why have you made me thus? Let me know. What is the plan? What is the purpose? Amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's go over to Nehemiah. Now, guys, I just got this mandate uh, yes, really yesterday, so 
forgive me for not, uh, you know, having everything like down pat. Like I just now forgot where Nehemiah is. <laughs> I know it's Ezra, Nehemiah. <laughs> okay, wait, Kings. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Page three twenty-three. <laughs> okay. The book of Nehemiah continues the history of the Jews who returned from exile in Babylon. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem in 445 BC and leads the people in repairing the walls. Along with Ezra, he provides leadership for the people. A recurring theme of this book is the importance of prayer. As you read this book, learn from Nehemiah's example of balancing spirit with action. Faith without works is dead. He balances spirit with action, okay? So Nehemiah asks about uh, his homeland, Jerusalem. Now, as we know, um, some of you might not know, the, uh, the people of Israel were uh, disobedient to God. God had called them his own people. And he, his uh, command for them is that you serve me. I, the Lord, am the Lord your God. Serve me and me only. Well, the Israelites didn't want to do that. They served other gods from other people who are, were around them. They began to serve other gods. So God kept sending them warnings and saying, okay, if you keep serving other gods, you're going to be taken out of this land and you're going to be slaves to another land. Well, eventually this happens. So they are overtaken by Babylon. Okay? So I'm just going to read this. Bear, bear with me, guys. <laughs> the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So the Jewish people had been taken out of their land to another land and made slaves. And uh, Nehemiah questioned some people who were left behind in, in, the, in their country in Jerusalem. He says, what's happening? What's happening with the, those people? They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he, he humbled himself. And a lot of times in the Bible when it says you humble yourself, that means you fast. So you go without food, you set yourself apart. That's called consecration. That means you set yourself apart to pray and to hear from God so you're not distracted by outside things. So he did this first, and then he says, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, laws you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of his of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man being the king, he was the king's cupbearer. So he had to taste wine before he gave it to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. <laughs> so he had to go to the king and say, my people are destroyed. What can I do? And he asked for favor in his prayer. And God gave him favor and says, what do you want to do? Right? So he says, I want to go back and, and rebuild, rebuild the city of my people. And the king said, go for it. Amen. He had fasted. He had prayed. He had acknowledged sin. He had repented from sin. He asked favor from God. God granted that favor. All right. This is a reason for fasting. Some things don't happen except through fasting and prayer. They don't happen. If Jesus fasted for 40 days, what makes us think we don't have to? Moses fasted when he was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. What makes us think we don't have to? Esther fasted for three days before she went to see the king. What makes us think we don't have to? There's a power behind fasting. The Muslims fast 40 days through Ramadan and they're spreading all over this country. When we hear about churches fasting annually on a regular basis, some of us say, hmm, what are you doing that for? What makes us think we don't need to? We don't have to. There's power behind fasting and behind prayer. Amen? Amen. All right, so Nehemiah, we're going to go skip on down to uh, chapter 4, Nehemiah, uh, verses 16 through 19. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Unity is the power to overcome the insurmountable and reach the unachievable. This building of the wall was insurmountable. It was unachievable. You have to remember the people who were left behind were probably the poorest of the poor and maybe sickly to have um, another group come in and just leave them behind. They must have thought they didn't have much to offer. So if, you, if you're in a, a community and somebody comes in and takes over, and you're left behind, you might, you might feel like, goodness, I'm not even worth being taken to be used in another country. They just left me here to die on my own. <laughs> That's what was left over there in Jerusalem. People just left over. And so Nehemiah comes back and says, we've, we've got to do something. And he rallies them together. And he says, we can do it. And they had shields and spears by their side and working with the other hand. 
right? I, I, if I work five days a week, I can't handle it. I'm, Lord, I'm tired. <laughs> These people building a wall, praying, holding the shield in one hand and a sword in another and trumpets over here, right? Putting their hands to the plow, working, doing what it takes to get the job done. Everyone had a mind to work, Nehemiah 4, 6. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. God, give me the mind to work. Give us the mind to work. Work is work. <laughs> it's hard, right? To be tenacious. You get, you get tired. That's why it's called work. We can't be afraid of it, right? We have to work to see things grow. So as we're listening, ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to work in this house? Where do you want me to work in my community? It takes work. The time for coming home from your nine to five or whatever you do and sitting down and watching TV and getting up and doing it the same is over. It's time to work. What do you want me to do? Everyone had a commitment to prayer and intercession. Nehemiah 4.9, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now he's talking about here some, uh, what do you call it, enemies who came in and said, you can't do this. What are you guys doing? You're nothing. You're dirty dogs. You're not going to build that wall. He said, as a result of that, nevertheless, we made prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Our job is to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because the enemy's always going to come and accuse. What are you trying to do? You said you were going to lose 20 pounds last year. Look, you're 10 pounds bigger. What you trying to do? You ain't going to do it. Then you set your mind to pray. And you watch what you put in your mouth. <laughs> you watch and you pray. Amen. Look, your children are acting crazy. They made all D's last semester. Look at them. Acting crazy in school, just been in for a week, already in trouble at the office. What you going to do? You're going to watch and you're going to pray. You're going to say, look here, you go to that school and act up today. I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be in your grill. I don't care who's watching. And we're going to pray. <laughs> we're going to watch and we're going to pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Apply it to whatever your situation is. You watch and you pray. Amen. Everyone should be aware of the enemy's plan to cause the work to cease. Nehemiah 4.11. And our adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. This is what the devil is saying to you. They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy. They're not going to see any success. We're going to come and take it all. That's what they were saying. Everyone was responsible to do his own work. Nehemiah 4.15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. So God revealed the plan. God revealed the plan of the enemy to those working. And they, and they prayed. They watched and they prayed. And then the enemy saw that God had revealed the plan. And he didn't have anything else to do. So they went back to work. 
right? So we just get, go back, you watch, you pray, you go back to work, all right? You defeat that enemy. And everyone had a specific work. Some prayers, some watchers, some builders, some warriors, some leaders. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. So here we say, God, what's our place? Where do we fit? Are we a prayer? Are we a watcher? Are we a builder? Are we a warrior? Are we a leader? What do you want me to do? Some of us, all the mothers in Zion, you know, when you're a younger person, you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray because you're used to getting stuff when you want it, basically. You know, unless you've had just terrible, terrible, terrible life, which most of us haven't had. Usually, you cry enough, you get what you want. You're younger, right? So you get older, you have to learn how to pray through situations. You have to learn how to pray until you see a change. And that is hard. That's why I'm just discovering when you go to a lot of churches, the people who pray are old. Because they learned how to pray. <laughs> Just to be honest, they learned how to pray until, until you see a difference. Because they've been through enough to know, oh, this is not going to change unless I pray and keep on praying. <laughs> until I see a change, right? So some of you might be prayers. Some are watchers, right? We're going to pray. We're going to watch and see what the enemy's trying to do so we know how to pray. Right? Some are, some are watchers. Some are builders. Because, to be honest, you're not going to go in there and you're not going to pray. So you're going to say, okay, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do that. Cause you, but you're still needed. You're still doing what the Lord wants. What are we going to do? We're, we're just going to go do that. Some are warriors. Some are going to stand outside and say, devil, you're not coming in here. You're not doing it today. Some of us have to do that physically, you know, depending on your situation in your neighborhood or whatever. Some people have to do that, you know, say, I'm, I'm a warrior. That's why God makes soldiers. That's why our country is peaceful. Because we have warriors to say, oh, no, you're not taking over America, are you? No, that, thank God for uh, Brother Field's son who was out there fighting on our behalf and knows the Lord as well, right? Because we need soldiers and sergeants and those in authority in the military who, to call on the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what's the battle plan? How are we going to win this one? So some of us are warriors and some are leaders. Some of us have a vision and say, okay, this is what God does, is, wants us to do this is how we're going to do it. We're going to plan, we're going to strategize, and, and here we go. So some of us are leaders. So we have to know what our place is. Everyone was ready to build and, and ready to fight. Everyone was ready to build and ready to fight. You have to be ready to do both, build and fight. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen lived. Many times he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they turned their tails to one another so that whichever way he approached them, he was met by their horns. At last, however, they began to quarrel among themselves and each went off to a pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. Then the lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end of all four. United we stand, but divided we, we fall. Okay, did you guys get that? Okay, all right. Yeah, you understand. I was going to say, did I read it in a way that you could understand? Everyone was sensitive to the sound of the trumpet while building the wall. 
okay, this was the one, 419 and 20. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So sometimes when we're at work, we get so caught up in what we're doing, you know, we're just doing our own thing. We just get, I mean, we're doing what the Lord called us to do, but we get caught up in it, you know. So we have to be um, sensitive to the voice of the Lord and to his prophets who say, okay, the, the, the enemy is attacking over here. That's why they sound the trumpet to say that the enemy is coming. So we have to be ready to put whatever we're doing down, even though it may be what God is calling us to do. Say, okay, God is calling us to move over here. And we have to be able to move as, as one unit to go to that place and pray or do whatever the Lord is calling us to do. Amen? Everyone was a laborer in the work of God, and there were no exceptions. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Everyone understood the work was great and could not allow any distractions. Nehemiah 6.3 I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the, should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Amen. Amen. We're going to skip down. Every member in a local church has work to do. That's letter M, Nia. Every member in a local church has work to do. Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The whole church, everyone has work to do. Now the whole world, Genesis 11, 1 through 6, had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Even when you're not doing the right thing, if you come together and speak the same language and have one vision, nothing will be impossible for you to do. Amen? Now, um, let's turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7. Uh, we're talking about King Solomon who had a mandate to build a temple that his father could not build because of all the blood that was on his hand. The Lord said, I, David, his father, had a desire to build a temple, a building, a physical building of worship for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, David... You had a little too much going on. You, <laughs> it's not, that's not for you to do, but your son is going to build this temple. And so when his son, his son's name was Solomon, he became king. Solomon said, okay, I will build this temple for God. And he asked God for wisdom on what to do. And God told him everything. And the people of Jerusalem were so behind Solomon that they began to bring everything they could as offerings to help build the temple. They just began to bring 
many, many, many things. So much so that he had to say, okay, stop. We have enough. We're going to build this temple. And so they built the temple, and it was great, and they worshiped in there, and they worshiped so much that even the people, the priests and the Levites, couldn't even minister because of all the worship that was going up. And Solomon offered a prayer up, and he said, God, when we come into this place, and even if we're not in this place, and we just look to this place, and we seek your face, and we, and we uh, want you to answer our prayers, Lord, will you hear us? Lord, if, if we're... You know, if, you, if we've been caught doing something and we repent and we turn toward this place because this is a symbol of your spirit and your power and your glory, will you hear us? And this was God's answer. He says, um, 7.14, is it? No. Oh, here it is. Yeah. This starting at, thir- at 12. Then the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour your land or send a plague among my people when trials come to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves fast and pray and seek my face and turn, repent, turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your throne as I covenanted with David, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. Amen. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will you fast? Will you humble yourself? Will you pray? Will you seek his face more than you seek anything else? Will you turn from everything that's not like him Turn from your wicked ways. He says, if you do these things, he'll hear your prayer. He'll forgive you. And he'll send healing to you. That means he'll change your situation. He'll do that. Amen.